Let me add my welcome. Again, my name is Ryan and I come from Kingston, Ontario. I work with Geneva Campus Ministries on Queen's University. And I also work part-time at a church in Kingston as well. I'm really excited to share this story with you this morning. It's one of my favorite stories. Personally, I like whenever Jesus puts the disciples in their place and kind of rebukes them. I have a weird fascination with those stories in scripture. And this story in, in specifically is quite interesting. It's a little bit of an obscure story. It's quite short. So we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to spend time just sitting with the story and diving into some of the details and seeing what God might be encouraging us in through the story. It's found in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And so they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story from your word. Thank you that as we look at your word this morning, you're going to encourage, challenge, shape, and mold us. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would work in our hearts, you would work through your word this morning. And we pray that our minds, our eyes, would be open for what it is you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. An earthy, oaky smell erupts through the room as she smashes the narrow mouth of the alabaster jar against the table. The faces 
of the disciples range from quizzical to in shock. And they stare at her through squinty eyes as if they're thinking, did she really just do that? Shards of alabaster spill to the ground as she rises the prized oil out over Jesus' head. You'll notice in our children's story, his feet. That's because there's two parallel passages for this text. She rises the oil out, and before she even has the opportunity to second-guess herself, she's already tipped it over. And the oil pours onto Jesus' tangled hair, running down his temple, sponging into his beard, dripping to the dirt floor. And then, when she's almost done, she takes what's left of the alabaster jar and shakes it out over Jesus' head like an empty ketchup bottle in a diner, trying to get out every last drop. The room is silent. The disciples, everyone, holds their breath. All that can be heard is the solitary dribble of oil disappearing to the ground. Everyone seems to be wondering, what will Jesus say? What will Jesus think of this? But he doesn't say anything yet. He gives no indications. And then, and then a breath of contempt is heard, like the prideful snort of a horse. It's Judas. Oh, Judas. And his face is turned sour in judgment. And then, like dominoes, it goes throughout the room. All of the disciples murmuring and chatting and whispering disapprovals to one another. They make comments about the astronomical retail value of the perfume, its artisan origins. Essentially everyone says the same thing. The disciples come to the consensus that this is a waste. And Judas being the financial whiz that he is, decides to speak up and he says something to the effect of, this is a financial squander. (laughs) And the disciples nod their head in approval and Judas, emblazoned by this, goes on to say something to the effect of, Rabbi, teacher, this woman is out of her mind. She's lost her logic. This Perfume is worth more than all of our salaries. Surely, she should have taken it to the market, sold it, and given it to the poor. Pretty good argument, right? Maybe Jesus is convinced. Maybe he's going to say something now and, and put her in her place. I mean, after all, we know the poor have a special place in Jesus' heart And there are people all over Jerusalem going to bed hungry. Meanwhile, 
the woman still holds out the jar, frozen. She looks at what she's just done. Perhaps wondering what her Savior is going to say. Wondering, maybe second-guessing herself. Inwardly chastising her impulsivity. And finally, the disciples cease their whispering and all just look expectantly to Jesus. What is it, Lord? What is it? Was this honoring to you? Or was this an unwise decision in your name? Is this worship or is it a waste? Is this worship or is it just a waste? A number of years ago, I am sitting at my Bible college where we have a prayer closet. And so I'm in there for my hour of intercession that I've signed up for. And to be honest, I'm only doing it because I think that's what I'm supposed to do as a good Christian. So I'm sitting in the prayer closet praying and my mind drifts off (laughs) to think about all of the reading assignments that need to be done and the laundry that's begging to be folded. And we had this index card stack of prayer requests that you'd work through. And I stare at this stack of prayer requests and I find myself thinking, what a waste of my time. I should be off doing something productive not sitting here spouting things at God that he already knows. I was really struggling with thinking that prayer was a waste of time. And sometimes if I'm being honest, and I'm not proud of this, I still find myself thinking that. And speaking of wasted prayer, I know of a mother who wonders if all of her years of intercession for her child were more of a waste than an act of worship. It's like she looks to God with those same watery, grief-stricken eyes as the woman of Bethany. And she laments that her now adult child seems to be going the wrong way. It's like the antithesis of everything she's prayed for her child is happening. It's like everything she prays and asks God for, the opposite happens. And so she looks to God and she says, God, it feels worthless. Two decades of prayer. Is it worship or is it a waste? Aren't we all asking ourselves that question from time to time? Is this worship or is it a waste? Thankless nights running through cumbersome details at council meetings or in worship practice. Is this worship? And if I'm honest, sometimes it feels like a waste of time.
early Sunday mornings, tuning into the live stream or coming to church and your neighbors might still be in their jammies, is this worship or is this a waste of an opportunity to sleep? Swallowing your pride for the umpteenth time to, to apologize and ask for forgiveness from your spouse or your children or your parents or your roommate, is this worship or is it a waste of effort? Sharing the central role that Jesus plays in your life, even when the conversation turns awkward or even hostile. Is this worship or is it a social waste? Submitting that donation, money that could have bought investments, is it worship or is it a financial waste? In a way, aren't we all the woman from Bethany? Aren't we all holding our alabaster jars over the head or feet of Christ? looking and waiting for our Savior to say something. We are surrendering the pricey oil of our time, relational bandwidth, finances, our very lives. Wondering if we should pour out the last few drops or save some for ourselves. Wondering if it's all been worship or just a waste. Going back to the story, I imagine Jesus lifting his head and locking eyes with the woman from Bethany. And a smile goes across his face. And he looks at this woman with that same gaze that a parent gives their newborn or a coach their winning athlete. The Bithynian woman is a woman of disrepute. She has got lots of regrets in her past, lots of skeletons in her closet. She's used to people looking at her, but it's looks of pity or judgmentalism, not the way that her Savior is looking at her now with love, with joy. Here is the God of the universe, happy with her act of worship. And all her doubts and her second guessing subside in a second. And she knows that it's worth the price of the oil, the risk of the disciples' rebuke, to see this Savior, to see her God polished by her act of worship. But then Jesus' expression changes and he turns to the disciples. And I like to imagine him through one of those parental sighs where you're ready to uh, correct someone. He turns and says to the disciples in a kind but firm voice, leave this woman be. She's done nothing wrong. 
and the disciples getting put in their place or kind of looking around at each other and just as Judas is about to open his mouth in objection, Jesus interjects and said, this is far from a waste. If you care this much about the poor, then by all means, give, increase your alms, but let her do as she is led. What she has done is beautiful. It's a holy act. This is worship. Jesus grants value to the woman's worship. And I like to imagine the disciples stewing on that. I wonder if the disciples were shocked when Jesus said, you will not always have me with you, but you will always have the poor. I wonder if the woman of Bethany or the disciples will ever get to read the future words of St. Paul to the Ephesian church when he says, walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I wonder if, if just as the salt water smell will always remind me of my home in Nova Scotia, that the smell of that perfume will always remind the woman and the disciples of that day, will remind them that that same Jesus bathed in eau de spikenard, that same Jesus grinning at her act of worship, is the same one who pours himself out for them on the cross to the last drop. And this sacrifice of Jesus shouts hallelujah from the earth just as the woman's oil. Because it changes around when we say it like this. Was Jesus' sacrifice worship or was it a waste? I mean, we know as Christians it was not a waste. But then, it looked like a waste. It looked like a wasted life to the world. But then three days later, it proves to be the most worshipful life when Jesus' sacrifice proves to be the way of redemption. God grants value to our worship. You see, the woman of Bethany's spilled alabaster jar, it seemed wasteful in the limited framework of the disciples. But with God, it was far more valuable than they even began to understand, or the woman even began to understand. She's just trying to express her love for God. But in doing so, God uses her to prepare Jesus' body for burial. She's potentially not even aware of this. Her worship prepares Jesus as he spills out his pricey, life-giving blood for us. And now, wherever the story of Jesus is told, this woman's story is also told so that she might be a model of worship. God grants 
value to the woman's worship. My parents downsized a few summers ago after raising myself and my three siblings in a larger home in the country in the middle of nowhere. They decided they had enough with commuting and they were going to move closer to the city. But this proved to be quite the process because they'd been in that house for a number of years. And my mom, my mom keeps everything. Everything. We're talking boxes and boxes of crayoned Mother's Day cards and those pictures framed by macaroni that you paste on picture frames when you're doing crafts. Everything. And so I have a craft up here which is way nicer than anything I've ever made as a child. And I believe it's from one of your children's ministry programs. And when I think about worship, I think about children's crafts. Because my mom, it took her every last ounce of discipline to throw out these crafts. There was no way she could move them all to her new place. Not because of their monetary value. I mean, what is a button necklace going to go for on Kijiji, right? But they were valuable because they were gifts from her children. Worship of God is like that. God, through his parental love, inspires us to adore him. Jesus spills out his life for us. And so inspired by the Spirit, we spill out our alabaster jars of time, relational bandwidth, finances, whatever, our very lives. We give of ourselves to others and we give up of ourselves to God. Because what looks like, you know, just children's crafts to the world is of immeasurable value to God. God grants value to our worship. Wednesday elder, Wednesday elder board meetings, ooh, that was a tongue twister, or council meetings, worship meetings, all these church ministries we get invested in, who knows, they might become the epicenter of spiritual renewal. God grants value to our worship. Or when we jump on the live stream, or we come on a Sunday morning and we're tired, next thing we know, God's word is challenging us and our heart soars as we head into the week. God grants value to our worship. That apology that finally ends months long of t- months long tensions God grants value to our worship. Trembling, you bravely share about the hope and redemption you have in Jesus, and your friend is actually maybe a little interested. God grants value to our worship. But God brings value to our worship even when our worship doesn't have a happy ending. You need to look no farther than the lives of the Christian martyrs killed for their faith throughout history, but 
on a much smaller but still important scale, let's go back to that mother who's praying for her child. God welcomes the prayers of the mother for her wayward child, even though the mother wonders if she's, if she's deceived, thinking her petitions can make a difference, even though the mother does not know how or if these prayers will be answered, just as the Bithynian woman did not yet know the significance of her oil, God knows. Even if we don't yet know our act of worship's purpose, the act itself is like sweet-smelling perfume to God. So what a joy that this week, as we head into our week, God is inviting us, like the Bithynian woman, to pamper Him with the perfume of our worship. And that's going to look different for each one of us. But what is the Spirit leading you to do this week? for spilling out your alabaster jar for Christ. Maybe tomorrow morning you'll rise early or kneel just before bed and you're going to cologne God in your prayers. Perhaps the Spirit is going to move through your car radio as you turn up that praise song and sing out your tone-deaf voice, which is like Beethoven in God's earphones. Perhaps we'll sense the smile of God upon us as we take time to listen to that colleague at work or take an extra deep breath and not lose our temper with the toddler or our family members. Whatever it is, what a joy that this week we will worship not because of what it accomplishes, not because our worship is going to be perfect, but because like arts and crafts of sons and daughters, our worship is of immeasurable value to God. Let's pray. God, we confess that sometimes our minds wonder if the songs we sing the stories we share about hope in You, the prayers we pray, the way we spend our time and our money and our relationships, if all of these things that we bring to You, Lord, are just a waste. But Lord, we pray that You would help us see how much joy our worship brings You. It's not perfect, but we give what we can. We give what we have. We give in the best way we know how. We give up of ourselves to you. And Jesus, we sense your smile over our worship. Jesus, in your holy name, amen.